The church says the body is a sin. Science says the body is a machine. Advertising says the body is a business. The body says I am a fiesta. Eduardo Galeano. Every life has its seasons with some magic we'll get through. Hippie witch has her reasons and she's sharing them with you. Hippie witch season five. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 517 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode, including links to Laura, Tempest, Zach Croft, author of Weaving the Liminal, and Anatomy of a Witch. Anatomy of a Witch, a map of the magical body. That is the book that I wanted her to come on the show to talk about today, but we also talk about her life as a witch and a creative person. She's also a fun person, so... I'm excited for you to listen to this. I guarantee it's going to be a good time. I also want to remind you that Shadow Love, Shadow Love, Return to the Seat of Your Soul, my six-part audio journey, it is on sale all summer long for 50% off when you put the code in GROOVY, all lowercase, Put that in at checkout and it will roll 50% off the price. If you love the podcast and you are into the shadow stuff right now, I made this for you and I'm offering this discount as a part of Shadow Love Summer Camp, which is something I am doing for free here on the podcast and in the newsletter all summer long, which this episode is absolutely a part of. I also will be adding at least one new installment to Shadow Love sometime this summer as well. So if you already have that audio journey or you're getting it now with the discount code, you will get that new installment when I hit publish. I also want to give a quick shout out to new patrons, Silky Verhayen. Hey, Silky! I see you on Discord already just jumping into the mix and introducing yourself, which I love. I always encourage people to do that. And it's very exciting when someone actually does it. They're like, hey, I'm here because we have a super groovy bunch of people over there and they will always be like, yay, I'm so happy you're here. Also, Susan Klein, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for supporting the show over on Patreon. We've been talking about embodiment over there this month as a theme. So this episode is going to make an awesome accompaniment to that as well as Shadow Love Summer Camp. It's all one big thing. Are y'all familiar with the work of Candace Pert? Candace Pert, PhD. She was the neuroscientist who discovered the opiate receptor way back in the ancient days of 1972. And she has an audiobook called Your Body is Your Subconscious Mind. And I introduced her by saying that she was the neuroscientist who 
discovered the opiate receptor because I feel like that is significant when you gravitate toward a book called Your Body is Your Subconscious Mind. (laughs) You want it to be from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and not some kind of new agey armchair expert with a lot of confidence presenting this theory. I think it's amazing as a theory. I would actually buy that book if Joe Schmo on the street wrote it, but it holds greater significance to me that she wrote it. It's actually not a book. It's packaged like an audiobook, but it's really a lecture and an interview and a Q&A session, but super interesting. And I bring it up here to say, you know, like embodiment and shadow love summer camp, they're all kind of the same thing to me. And if you think of the title of that book, that's why. Your body is your subconscious mind. Whoa, what a cool idea. So if your body is your subconscious mind and the shadow is in the subconscious mind, with what conclusion does that leave you? It's an interesting perspective, right? And I can tell you from much personal experience that the shadow absolutely can be accessed through the body. So it's at least taking a part-time residence there. And that is a reliable place to turn if you're looking to do some deep healing. If you like that idea, and if you're into this conversation with Laura here today, I recommend following that up with a visit to Dr. Google. <laughs> Bring Dr. Google this audiobook title, Your Body is Your Subconscious Mind, and let him gently guide you to this very interesting concept. And a delightful speaker, Candace Pert, in addition to all those other things, also happened to be incredibly charming and funny, as is, I might add, today's guest who we will get to in just a moment. But first, I have to tell you about something I saw yesterday. Someone I saw. I saw this kid. I met him, actually. I met this kid, Arthur. Arthur is a two-year-old boy with huge puppy dog eyes, one that is crossed in toward his nose, and he has the squishiest, chubbiest cheeks that do not budge because he is expressionless. He is completely stoic. He's just observing. He's taking in everything, including you. He will look straight at you unflinchingly, (laughs) unselfconsciously, and just stare and watch you. It is so cute and interesting. And that's not the most interesting thing about him. The most interesting thing about him is his parents were sitting across the aisle from Tanner and myself. We went back to Desconso Gardens to hear more live music. I mentioned it here on the podcast last week that we went there. Oh, 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 it was so good just remembering that first concert in Desconso Gardens. We went there to see a sitar player and a cellist. They duet jazz duel. I don't know what they were doing. They were playing together. They were riffing together. It was impromptu. It was amazing. It was amazing in this outdoor atrium surrounded by oak trees, surrounded by redwood trees. It's incredible. Disconso Gardens is incredible. Listening to heartfelt 
passionate music in the heart of the forest at Descanso Gardens is next level. So we went back yesterday to do this again. And the presentation was Sounds of Spain. So there was a flamenco dancer who also sang. It's hot here in LA and this guy is wearing black long sleeves and black pants and he would stand up and sing a cappella in this really passionate way and then bust out into a high-speed flamenco dance before returning to singing. It was incredible. I would have passed out. I almost passed out watching him, but it was so beautiful. I had to stay conscious. So he was there with a bunch of musicians, a woman who also had an amazing voice, and this guy who was playing this big wooden avocado-shaped instrument that he called an ode, and he said that it is the grandfather of the guitar, our modern-day guitar, and that's exactly what it looked like, that in an avocado, and it sounded really cool, really resonant, but before they got going with their performance and people were just trailing in to take their seats, Arthur's parents sat across the row from Tanner and I, and Arthur came walking over because there was this space. There was empty space in front of me and Tanner. And he stared <laughs> at us. He stared at everybody around him. And his parents were kind of apologetic. But I loved him immediately and introduced myself. And I asked how old he was. That's how I know he was two. That's how I know his name. I sat there and talked to him. He responded not. He just stared at me. He just stared at this weird blonde lady being like, Arthur, you're two. Wow, you're two years old, Arthur. And he's just staring at me like, like I'm a zoo animal that he's observing through the bars. <laughs> he's such an interesting little dude. And eventually his parents got him to sit over with them because he just wanted to wander and the concert was about to start. But once the concert started. There was no containing Arthur. He wanted to go check it out. He wanted to be on the stage, <laughs> staring, staring at the flamenco dancer, staring at the ode. He wanted to be there staring at the whole thing, leaning into it. And so his parents were holding him and I was watching this happen. These are good parents, lovely, loving, adoring, patient parents. And they're trying to hold little Arthur and he's trying to wiggle away. And I saw something happen that bummed me out. And it was Arthur was trying to communicate that he wanted to be free. He wanted to go be free. He wanted to wander. He wanted to explore. And instead, his dad stuck a bottle in his mouth against his will. He's like trying to wiggle away from his dad and his dad pacified him by sticking a bottle in his mouth. And I thought, whoop, that's how it starts. That's how it begins. This child who the entire time we were with him was nonverbal, he was clearly though communicating he wanted to explore. He wanted to be put down. He wanted to go stare at the people. <laughs> and I could see that. His parents probably know this about him like they know the back of their hand. And, you know, just in the moment that dad did that. But that is the moment that is one of probably many moments that they are teaching Arthur one that 
what he's communicating can't be heard or is not important, and two, that he can pacify himself this way by sticking a bottle in his mouth or whatever it may be, whatever that ends up symbolizing for him as he gets older. And again, these were kind, gentle, patient parents. It was just an offhanded thing that parents do all the time because having a toddler is exhausting. You can only be like present and amazing and zen about it for so long before you're like, ah, where's that bottle? And it was interesting to me because his body was communicating and his body was placated. It was silenced by something that was not what he wanted, but it was fine, whatever. At least this will entertain me for a minute. And I was like, ooh, how often do we make those choices as adults and when does it begin? It was interesting getting to see one of those moments when it begins. So then I started rooting for Arthur. Then I can't stop watching Arthur. And once the music got really going and a lot of people gathered around, the parents were in a bad spot because (laughs) they didn't want to ruin everybody else's time. You know, they didn't want their kid to be disruptive, but also they didn't want to look like assholes because their kid is super duper cute. And how do you go like scoop him up time and time again without being a jerk about it? So Arthur would break free and the parents would be like, ah, and he made a beeline for the stage every time, tiny little palms of his hands up on the stage, staring at the musicians and his dad would go get him. The cutest moment was his dad. This had happened a number of times and his dad trudged up there, the shame of it. And he picked Arthur up and put him on his shoulders and turned around. And that was the first time Arthur had a facial expression. He was beaming, he was glowing, he was alive. This is a kid who wants to be moving and shaking and a part of the physical world. He's like excited about all of it. And I think we were all that at some point in our lives and I was just grooving on Arthur that day and thinking about this episode here that I knew that I would be recording soon. And I wanted to mention that for any parents out there who might hear that and be like, I'm going to be more mindful of that. Because I think there was a different way to handle it. I think they could have gotten very low to his level and kind of like in a whispery, fun, conspiratorial voice, acknowledged him, acknowledged his need, at least, you know, like, we see you want to explore. We know you want to go over there, not right now. And directly address it. They still can put the boundary up They still can be like, kid, you cannot disrupt everybody else who is here to enjoy the music. It's not all about you, dude. (laughs) You can still convey that message without disrupting the child's connection to their own desire and their own body's instinct. You can hear them, you can see them, and you can lay down the law without being a scary freak about it and... I wish I had that information when my kid was two. He was nonverbal all the way up until six years old, so I really could have used that information. So no judgment on anyone. It's just an interesting observation I thought might be useful to parents and then also just to all of us. If you do any kind of 
inner child work, if you like to travel back through your body maybe or through your subconscious mind in some way to heal old wounds. It might be interesting to travel back and see how far, what is your oldest memory you can recall when someone distracted or placated you, silenced you for their own convenience maybe, and inadvertently set a pattern that you're now struggling with to this day. When you settle, when you reach for the distraction, when you put the proverbial bottle in your mouth instead of going out to explore. I just think that's fun to think about. It's interesting. I find it fun. I love all the shadow worky things because every discovery I make is like getting a little piece of myself back and freedom. It feels it feels like freedom. So I really enjoy these conversations. The one we're having here today is such such a good conversation. And so without any further ado, I hereby present you with artist, author, dancer, witch, Laura Tempest-Sackroff. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I was just telling you before we started rolling that I got so overwhelmed trying to figure out what to talk to you about because you do an amazing number of things and you do them all so well. How long have you been a... I would say a creative and a witch, like side by side, an artist, a dancer, a witch. Like when did this all start for you? Well, particularly in in creating art, that has been a a lifelong process. Um, But to kind of the where art and magic and dance all sort of hit a crossroads together and journeyed forth. Uh, Say we're going about about 25 25 years ago, yeah, <laughs> getting closer to three decades. <laughs> wow, 25 years ago. Did you, when you were little, did you feel witchy? Yes. The benefit, blessing, the odd circumstance of, you know, parents come from, from very different backgrounds. Father is kind of Russian, Slavic Jew. My mother is Italian, Sicilian, Catholic. And I just knew early on that things were not quite as they seemed. I was was looking for something a little bit deeper, a little less misogynistic. (laughs) Mm, A little less, just a little. Yeah, just just a little bit. And uh, so I think as early as early as first grade is when I was already getting sent to the principal's office for being uh, (laughs) for being trouble in the religion class. Mm. (laughs) What kind of religion? Were you in Catholic school? So mom won the bet, and uh, <laughs> so all, all the kids got to be raised Catholics, and we went to Catholic school. But there were still a lot of influences from um, the other side of things, and particularly in that, like, where I have questions about about the universe and heaven and hell, and be like being told my father is going to hell. I'm like, oh, honey, we don't believe in hell. <laughs> you know? so. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so interesting that your Jewish dad married your Catholic mom too. And there's layers too that to their identity that you already presented. But were they both religious? My father wasn't very religious. Part of that is um, when he was young, his mother passed away. And and so much, it's a bit of a stereotype, but it's really culturally true is that often the the mother is so much the force, particularly in Jewish culture, to, you know, get the kids all doing what they're supposed to be doing and going to school and studying with that. So he kind of 
he didn't have the traditional, though I'd say he's kind of got a, um, a, an interesting mystical way of looking at the world. He, it's also the kind of classic New Jersey-Philadelphia combination. Mm. <laughs> it happens a lot. Um, at least it started happening a lot in the 60s. Truly, I know nothing about it. It's all fascinating to me. I was I was raised in a bubble. <laughs> so we need to, really, I was a very like Christian, white, conservative bubble. So I love to hear where people come from, particularly with such a mixed, you know, these two people sound so different. And then that they would mm-hmm. come together and have a witch baby. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I think they're they're still surprised by that a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did they think? Do they think, oh, this is her being an artist? Or do they see this as a legitimate spiritual practice? Do they have respect for it? So many questions. Uh, so when I first came out, and going back, you know, over two decades ago, uh, I think they were more like, oh, but it was you know, already at college age and all that. It's like, how many different things can I inadvertently throw you know, at my parents? So at that time, it was a little bit, What? But my mom also taught religion at school. She wanted to start teaching at a high school and teaching juniors and seniors, which includes the global religions, you know, religions of the world class. And mm-hmm. so she started really learning a lot more about other faiths, particularly pagan faiths, uh, Wicca, you know, just all these different variations. And so she got more knowledgeable about these things and realized that there isn't that much of a difference it's also been really fun introducing her to a lot of the Italian Catholic folk magic. There's um, a book by Mary Grace. It's Italian folk magic. And oh, I, sent I it have to her. it. I have that. Yes. yes. I was reading this. I'm like, this is so much like my mom needs to read this. And so I sent it to her and she's like, your, your aunts and uncles, your great aunts and uncles, and you know, all of those little biddies on the street, they were doing this. I'm like, I know. I remember when I was little seeing some of this stuff going on, you know, like this, this is part of what I'm talking about is this kind of folkloric approach. And, you know, there's something just beyond what is in the Bible or what people say that this is what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how they blend the two often, you know, Mm -hmm. like, the Bible and magic, you know, these things often get blended, particularly when you're talking about folk magic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what people have on hand, right? Like most people have some sort of Bible, you know, historically, uh, that's if they're going to have a text in the house. So you use what you have. And so I think that has sort of centered those scriptures and the poetry and the songs and all that kind of tied up in there together. Um, people picking and choosing what works better for them. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, that I'm holding your book, Anatomy of a Witch, listening to you talking about using what you have, because we all have a body, or anybody who's <laughs> listening to this who has a body, this book is for you. <laughs> but I, I, I immediately clicked with the title when I saw it. And it's interesting, last spring, I wanted to do, I wanted to create some sort of program and I wanted to call it embodied. And I thought, oh, there will definitely be movement because my practice involves so much of that. And my practice as a witch has really been about coming back into my body because I'm a total Mm -hmm. space cadet. Like I have learned so much by coming into my body and it's been a really profound experience. However, I really didn't have the time. I had to prioritize. And then this lady started making these ritual workouts on YouTube. And my patrons are sending it to me like, oh, my God, she's so amazing. And I was like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. (laughs) You you do it so much more 
beautifully and witchierly than I would have. Like the way you take people through these workouts and give it a magical context is thrilling. And then I end up, you know, landing on this book, Anatomy of a Witch. So I just wanted to give you a little history of like, I feel like I'm meant to talk to you right now because the content of this book fully lives up to the title. Oh, thank you. Anatomy of a Witch, a map of the magical body. I'm aware that there's this woman named Laura Tempest Sackroff because my listeners love you. I think this really started getting my attention with Weave the Liminal, but it was the body stuff that really I was like, who is this person? <laughs> and then to find out you do so many different things, like why the body, why now? It really was a major starting point for where my my practice found its groove. When, you know, I started working with other folks, kind of drawing together, you know, sort of what we call the a college age pagan society at the time, you know, going back into the 90s. And I also had a friend who had been in Rhode Island, moved back to California to the Bay Area and had discovered a belly dance out there. And I was like, oh, this sounds like a thing that we should be incorporating you know, some sort of movement that seems to be like really the next step. I'm not seeing that in what I'm reading. And so everybody joined class with me at that time and, you know, picked up drumming and we started experimenting with what does it mean to do movement with our rituals and to really be ecstatic, to explore sound and sensation and the sensuality of it. Uh, And that has been really a cornerstone for my practice going on all of this time. But I found that a lot of folks haven't discovered that yet. Um, Mm. And when you look historically at the magical community, pagan community, et cetera, you see sort of this this wide spectrum at one end where folks are really about like, okay, we're going to be hippies and we're going to be naked out in the woods and and really get into our bodies. And, you know, and this is really, you know, amazing exploration but at the other end of it, we also had like moving into the 90s and the early, it was like, well, we're going to be super academic about this as well. And the scholarship is the most important. And we seem to stop feeling things and start thinking things. And these are both good things, but there's a golden mean in the center of where we can be present in our bodies and also tap into our minds and our spirits. So this book to me is a kind of a love letter to that experience and hoping that other people can find that it's not that difficult. It doesn't matter what shape your body is, what age, uh, you know, what gender, what sexuality, all these different variables. You have a body. You can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that about your videos, too. You're not showing up in like a spandex bra and... <laughs> like tiny shorts you know you're like hey I'm wearing like a loose kind of witchy dress and it feels inviting and I've been a dancer my entire life so I relate to that as an identity Mm -hmm. but I also know from being that person that a lot of people don't and so they don't think movement is for them right they think oh that's for dancers and I think if you have a body that body's meant to move absolutely Yeah. And you're making it so approachable for people, especially people that love anything magical. I highly recommend they go to YouTube. I will link to it and check out your ritual workouts. And I also just, we have to talk about anatomy of a witch. There's so many amazing things in this book Two that really stuck out to me right away was the witch bones and witch lungs. Mm. 
And then I loved the part about the cauldrons and the serpents and the kitten hands. So I told you I was overwhelmed. This is why. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, you know, it's funny because I had a big stack of books to get through. And this one, I was like, oh, this is it. And then I haven't like sat and read it cover to cover, but I just keep flipping through. And I, every page I flip to, I land. Like I'm like, oh this is amazing. And I'm taking notes. It's packed with really great stuff. Do any of those subjects that I brought up interest you for a little conversation? We can dive into to any of them. So let's, let's start with the witch lungs. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about for people are like, what are we talking about? What are these body parts? Yes. Uh, it's a metaphorical, symbolic anatomy of a witch. Which are these five parts or systems, the witch lungs, the witch heart, the serpent, or the uh, witch's gut, the witch bones, and the weaver, or the witch mind. And these are metaphorical systems that also correspond to our biological systems and experience. So they're not anything special that only witches have, but it's a way if you are a magical practitioner to get deeper into your path using your body and the symbolism that is inherent within these organs, big kind of quotes around these organs. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I start with the witch lungs because it's breath. Like breath is what we start as, as human beings, as we enter this world, right? That first breath. And then there's a huge transition when we take our last breath and, and go in through, through death into the next experience. And breath brings us into awareness. It is also a wonderful way to look at magic because I think a lot of folks have problems with really grasping the concept and believing the concept of magic because our society is so heavy on fantasy and that magic needs to have the laser effects and the extra glitter and you know all of the stuff that we see in movies you know and fantastical things where where it's much more subtle and so if we can start to see breath the same way that or excuse me look at magic the way we do with breath that we are taking in oxygen these particles that we cannot see but they are clearly working our way through our body and as they exhale we release those particles as well we can see the interconnectivity of the universe we can start to look at how invisible forces have very visible physical effects on ourselves and also understand space i love to the lungs To me, which lungs symbolizes the co-creative process? You know, you breathe in, you breathe Mm -hmm. out. What attracted me to magic first was really the law of attraction. And a lot of the teachings are like, you can create your reality. And what always resonated with me was co-creating and Mm -hmm. being present to what is and working with what is. And when I think of like inhaling, it's about breathing that in and being like, okay, this is what is. And then it transforms within your body and you breathe it out and the, it just keeps going. The cycle of life. Yes. I, it's, it, we take part of the universe, bring it into ourselves and we release part of ourselves out into that. And it's like the simplest exchange and it doesn't have to be super complicated and, and deeply occult, right? It's like breath. It's right there. Mm, yes. Yeah. The serpent is really interesting to me too, because everything kind of matches, you know, which bones, which heart, 
witch lungs the serpent (laughs) that really got my attention and there's a guy that I loved a long time ago I mean he's still around Daniel Vitalis but he's who I learned the concept of rewilding from over a decade ago now and he would talk about how we're basically just giant serpents or worms or however you want to see it like mouth to anus basically (laughs) we have have these limbs that get us around and the way you were talking about the serpent really reminded me of that it's such a ancient myth that we find in in every culture like every part no matter where you go in the world there's something related to the serpent and kind of our awareness and you know how the world came into being how humans came into being how wisdom might have come uh you know inspiration all of these different things and at a very simple level, when we look at our digestive system, it is basically a nest of snakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of that. And also, as you said, from, from mouth to, to anus is that also that same track that goes all the way through. It's also the sensuality and the, the curvature of the movement that we also can look at with the reproductive system and the endocrine system, as well as the reptilian brain, right? Mm-hmm. So the part of our brain that is connected with the vagus nerve that goes all the way down to our guts, right? That gut intuition, that's really deeply connected into the nervous system in there too. So if they were like, this is kind of the best way to title it instead of like, you know, since it's not just one organ, but we can, you know, touch and explore all of these different things. I felt like the serpent was the best analogy to kind of slot all of that together. I'm screaming at you in my brain. You're using all the keywords I love and <laughs> tying it all together. Yes, for people who don't know, like really study the vagus nerve, particularly if you have problems freezing up, if you're a freezer, like flight, fight, or Mm -hmm. freeze. And our bodies do their own thing separate from our mind. They will shut you down. It doesn't matter what kind of thought you're having. If you have some sort of trauma and that gets triggered, you might not even know what it is. But if you ever get stuck, that's a great thing to spend some time learning about because the way out is through your body. And it can really mess with your digestion. So Mm -hmm. the serpent is the chapter for you in Anatomy of a Witch. We just think about stress and how stress affects all of those different systems, especially your digestive system. And you think about emotions, you know, we tend to say like, oh, it's our brains are, you know, in charge of the emotions and, and, you know, messages and such, but all of our organs have like a sense of memory and a way to communicate, uh, which is like, it's like, I love the science of all of this. Like as, as I was writing and doing the research, I was just like, ah, running around like the organs, organs have memory, like research uh, science. Research has proven this. It's amazing. Yes. This is why I got overwhelmed. I can't handle talking to you. You are (laughs) so inspiring. And you talk about so many things that I absolutely love. And then you're just so wonderfully weird. Like there's a section in here about kitten hands. And I was like, what is that? I have to read about that. Can you tell us like a little bit about what kitten hands are? Yes, yes. So the wall kittens. Uh, so, you know, I've been teaching dance for about 20 years, a little over 20 years now. And one of the things that I've learned in teaching dance, it's just, it goes in teaching art or, you know, teaching metaphysics as well. But really when you get to movement is that you realize that everybody's brains 
work differently. So some people want to be told, now you're going to extend this muscle within this piece of the skeleton and they want that scientific thing. And then there are people who respond to like, okay, pretend you're scooping ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And some people want to hear the movement. So I I developed a whole variety of different techniques to be able to reach a wider audience when I'm teaching a diverse group of people. And one of the things I found that is really consistent is using imagery and using tactile um, force, for lack of a better word, to help stimulate how we activate our bodies. And so one of those things are the the kittens, the wall kittens, which is when you are reaching out, imagining that there's a stack of sleeping kittens on either side of you and that you're reaching out to touch them. Suddenly people are really using their complete arms all the way down to their fingertips to pet those kittens or puppies or snakes or whatever person of whatever gender gets them excited, you know, whatever metaphor that they need, it's it's doing the thing that is necessary so that they're fully connected to their body. So it's silly, but that also the funny thing about when we, we can be we can play a little bit more is our bodies relax and our brains relax and we learn more and we experiment more versus worrying about like, Oh, do I have it done? Right. It's like, no, you know how to pet a kitten, pet a kitten and boom, like in, in just a few minutes, people have changed their posture as well as how they're interacting with each other and themselves. It is, it is true magic. Just that little bit of imagery and you know, comparison and visualizing, you know, even if you can't, you know, see it in your mind's eye, everybody can see, I can, I can put a kitten out there and I'm going to touch it. Yes. Yeah. I used to teach dance to kids mainly. They were my favorite because they will, they would get this right away. They'd be like, yes, we're touching kittens. Whereas (laughs) some grown people, I don't know, but if you're magical and you've spent a lot of time meditating or exercising your imagination, or you're just very naturally creative this is an awesome way to trick yourself into working out as well I like to pretend I'm some sort of like human machine like I have to touch this button and then that button and then this button and then that button and I'll have a whole story if I don't keep touching the buttons the whole city will explode and <laughs> I don't know play some music touch the buttons don't let the city explode it, it keeps me going it makes it fun and I don't even notice I'm working out And I like the way it isolates when you're like, it'll isolate a muscle when you're being really, really specific. Like that kitten Mm -hmm. is so far away. I have to bend my finger in this way to touch it. You're just so much more aware of your body when you're doing it and what the space that you're in, instead of just trying to think, oh, I have to throw my arm out there. And it, I, I often tell folks like, so I always go through in every class, these kind of the 10 points for perfect posture. And I said, if you don't remember anything else I teach you in this class, if you just remember, you know, the kittens and there's the sky bunny and the ferrets and the few other things. And there's like, you, you have just taken information that is going to drastically change your experience for the better for the rest of your life. As long as you remember this. Yeah. And that's it. Like that's that few minutes, you know, on top of everything else, it suddenly opens the door. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You use the word silly and it's so funny because I would never think of you as silly. I think of myself as silly because I'm a gigantic dork. I'm extremely goofy, but somehow you manage and I'm thinking specifically of your ritual workouts. You manage to present these very playful, creative 
concepts and exercises and you seem totally dignified and elegant doing it <laughs> I would be far goofier I assure you and it, it's lovely it, you know what it is it it creates like a sense of sacredness that you have respect for the work without it being heavy you know you're not like mm -hmm. no we will do something very important but you do have a certain air of dignity about you which I love well, thank you. I, I consider myself a giant dork. <laughs> oh, you hide it well. <laughs> <laughs> it's that mix of like, yeah, I take the, the work seriously, but I don't take myself that seriously, mm. you know, so that there's a balance to it. Um, and I think that also makes it easier for other people too, hopefully. Yeah, just just bouncing around to something I actually wanted to comment on and maybe ask you on if you have a thought about it is you also come off as a person who is deeply grounded in integrity. You seem to have a sense of your whole self and to be really comfortable there. Was that a process getting there? Do you relate to what I'm saying? Uh, that was one hell of a process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you earned that shit. I feel like it, it's definitely still a, a work in progress, but um, I talk about it, I think, a little bit in Weave the Liminal. Um, I'm not sure how much I dive into it in anatomy, but um, I often refer to like my previous life and the current life, and I'm not talking about like reincarnation. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I was in an, uh, an abusive marriage for 15 years, and it was just in all of the, especially the emotional and mental fatigue of all of that, um, which also like when you're in that situation, it actually breeds other relationships that are very similar and being able to change and break out of that and start to recreate a new life has um, been amazing and really kind of set me on a path of like figure out who am I and where do I really want to be in the world without, you know, other people's ideas tying me down or concepts or weights, you know, like those kind of restrictions and, and finding like, I like to say it's finding the Empress card um, mm. somewhere between, you know, the priestess and which is the mystical aspect of ourselves, but the Empress is that force that is creative and focused on abundance um, and supportive for other people, but also needs to find her place on her throne in order to institute those changes. Yeah, that's the perfect card for you for this book in particular, because she's so embodied. Mm -hmm. Was there an overlap between your career as a professional witch, which I'm guessing has a lot to do with the books that you have written over time, the Oracle decks you've created, whatever classes you're teaching and have taught. Was there an overlap of being in that relationship, starting this career, or did one end and the other begin? Definitely an overlap. Uh, so I got married at 18. I eloped. Um, so did I. Oh my gosh. I just can't believe this. Okay, go on. <laughs> yeah, Things that seemed like a good idea at the time, right? Yes. <laughs> and we're not. I thought uh, it was freedom. I thought getting married at 18 was freedom. I would escape my hometown and go live in the big city. It turned out to be something different, but go ahead. <laughs> You know, when, when you're 18 and that you also, if we like take a moment about science and our brains not being fully developed and also being very prone to like really passionate things. I mean, that's, that's what your late teens, early twenties is about is being really passionate about all mm. the things and like being really, really right. Yeah. You think. Uh, so 
at that point, as I was, you know, starting college and um, was married and uh, also kind of finding the larger occult world. Uh, so this was all kind of wrapped up into one kind of mess. It's also when I found dance. Uh, so really that went on until, you know, 2011, 2010, 2011, when things started to shift. And then finally, like the clean, the clean, <laughs> the, the clear break, not the clean break, uh, it was 2012. So, um, you know, I was creating dance and all that time. I was teaching metaphysics. I was doing art, you know, all of that through that period, but still wasn't able to do it as completely and as deeply um, and as true to myself as possible because of that situation. It's like, you're, you're like, you know, you're like a weed on concrete. Like you're like, I'm trying to get my little roots in this little tiny bit of dirt that's yeah. here and I'm just growing as best I can. And then somebody transplants you into a wonderful, you know, like raised bed with proper soil. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can actually blossom and grow and and you know, send off more shoots and all that such. And you're like, I'm not really a weed. I'm actually, you know, a wonderful herb that has many full uses. You know? Yeah. So, so that that definitely um, shifted. But my art really opened up, and being able to get back to writing, all of that changed kind of post that time. But I've you know been involved in uh, the magical community and dance community now for you know the, the whole of that time. When did your first book come out? The Witch's Cauldron came out, I think, 2017. Yeah, like, I think I signed the contract in 2015. And, you know, like, publishing takes a while. So, yeah, 2017. Then it's been, like, one one or more per year, though that was not planned. That's just sort of how. <laughs> yeah, well, that answered my question. Because I was thinking it would stretch back further. I was like, wow. So you have put out a lot of, not just books, but also you did one Oracle deck and you have another coming or is there more than that one that I'm missing? Yes, there is a new, there is a new Oracle deck that'll be out next year. Um, that's related to anatomy of a witch. So right. it's, it's an old system into itself, you know, and, and I actually had started writing books early on, but I lost them. And I think that's sort of a blessing. Um, they lost them to hard drive failures and motherboard fries and things like that. Uh, so the universe was like, this is not the time to be writing books. <laughs> Yeah. Well, something I regret is not regret, but it may, it's a little cringy for me is I was making content on YouTube in 2011 and, and mm -hmm. talking about witchy stuff and getting out of uh, uh, years I spent overlapping, getting out of, let's just call it a toxic relationship. Yeah. And that was what I had to offer was where I was at in that space. I had a lot of cool ideas and there was some wisdom sprinkled in there. But now when people are like, hey, I saw this thing or I listened to this thing you made in 2013, I'm like, burn it. What was it? What did I say? <laughs> right. Have you ever had that experience? Oh, yeah. It, it's a lot like with dance, too. Right. Like so somebody like does a video like I have DVDs, instructional DVDs, performance DVDs that was part of. And I'm thinking like, oh, oh gosh, you know, people are like, oh, I love that performance from 2006. You're like, oh, def definitely. Just, just, <laughs> that was a different time. It was a different person. <laughs> I mean, it was dead at the time. You know. <laughs> so your first book was about cauldrons. I did not know that. I'm not aware of that book. What's that one called? 
So it's the Witch's Cauldron, and it's part of Llewellyn's Witch's Tool series. There's, um, oh, the broom and the mirror and the athame. So that my first one in that series, or yeah, first one in that series and my first official book was The Witch's Cauldron because I have a love for cauldrons and I saw the call out for it. I'm like, I bet I could write that book. <laughs> and so I and so I did. And so uh, and it then, is. And I also teamed up with Jason Mankey, who wrote uh, two other books in that series, and we wrote The Witch's Altar together as well. Okay. Well, there's a section in Anatomy of a Witch. There's like, actually, cauldrons are mentioned here and there, but I know ten Tending the Cauldrons is a whole section, and I've read part of it, and it was fascinating. Some folkloric history about, I think there's four cauldrons. Is that what it is? There's, there's three cauldrons, and the the lore points to an Irish poem, The Cauldrons of Posey. It's like going back to, I think, offhand the 7th century, but don't quote me, I'm a little rusty on looking at my information right now. But it's possibly older than that. But it corresponds to these sort of, um, you see threefold spirit, souls, bodies, you know, in all different kinds of lore. It shows up in Jewish lore, it you know, shows up in, in all these different things. And these three cauldrons, right, they, you have the cauldron of warming, which is the, the one that is in your belly, and that's about health, general well-being. The cauldron of motion, which is located in the heart, and that's what puts you in motion. That's sort of the, the talking self as well and our emotional processing. And then the cauldron of wisdom, which is more of our spiritual, the higher self, and that's located in the head or above the head. And I find that those are really easy for a lot of people to relate to because it's these three centers that you can touch in your body, you know, versus like, you know, the chakras, which, you know, that into itself, you know, there's so many actual different systems of chakras, depending on where you're coming from and whose system and all those colors. And I think that people get overwhelmed very easily. Um, and I just, I love, I love the three. I love that it has these ancient connections to different kinds of spirits and gods and, and just, body parts. <laughs> yeah. Body I mean, parts. even in like the most fundamentalist Christianity, you have the father, son, and Holy ghost. Right. Right there. Threefold God. Boom. I love how we don't have a mother. We have a Holy ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that lady. No. <laughs> right. And I can always think of it as like, it's forever ruined by Eddie Izzard. And um, I think it's easy for us to kill. Holy ghost. It's the Holy ghost. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to see that. I yeah. It's hilarious. Where she, they. <laughs> and then you just have a history with sigils. I know we're bouncing around a lot, but I really, I hope everybody listening gets this book because it's, to me, it's special. I haven't even sat down and read it cover to cover and it's already got my little scribbles here and there. I've already taken notes. So the sigils that are included in there, um, there are... There's quite a few of them, actually. There's one for every system that we talk about. There is a combination sigil that you can work with for the entire body. And then there's a few other little more spell ones in there. And those are based on basically my method of sigil witchery, which is was my second book that was released into the world. Yes, it was the second one. <laughs> <laughs> getting some words like when you have you know I guess multiple children you're like they, they become an amalgamation whenever you're bored I don't know stop moving <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what sigils 
it's interesting because I've always been a doodler, an illustrator, but also I get attached to little doodles and they just sort of become my symbols. They're just mm -hmm. my symbols for certain things. They're very basic, like a kindergartner. Could, in fact, I was drawing them before kindergarten and they just stuck with me. I'm 47 now and I'm still drawing hearts and stars and this little dove eyeballs. I have things. <laughs> sigils, I mean, I get the basic concept, but it's never really grabbed me. Like what made it grab you? It depends on the approach. So what I, where I'm coming from with sigilitry and what I write about is very much what you're talking about. It's an intuitive method. It's the symbols that you have been drawing your whole life that are part of your daily vocabulary. And because symbol making unto itself, the connection between the magical mark and civilization, like that moment in time when we first recognized that making an X or an asterisk or a crosshatch or something had symbolic meaning, that it represented something larger in the world around us, it's a huge leap for our brains. Like that's how old it is, is that point and like the development of evolution of, of human society. When we look at Western occultism, most people tend to think like there's only a couple methods of creating sigils, like ceremonial magic and using what I call the little Punnett squares. So like you have a little square or you have a little circle and you have letters and numbers and you, you know, kind of use it to chart something in there or you use the spare method from you know, that kind of develop out of chaos magic uh, where you take a sentence and you cut up the letters and you sort of obliterate it. There are a multitude of methods and, you know, as I said earlier, there's so many different kinds of brains that, you know, obviously some methods going to work for somebody. But for me, I didn't find those methods to be very magical or very powerful because they were sort of antithetic to how I do spellcraft and how I create art, which is I'm going to take these marks, I'm going to take these ideas and I'm going to bring it into being. And when we do spells, like traditional sympathetic spells, right? We light a candle, it's a certain color maybe, maybe we're gathered some herbs, we have some oil, we have some string. We're gathering these items together to create something, to kind of have a physical influence, to have a visualization of what is it that we wanna manifest in the world. And so the sigil method I talk about is that same kind of thing, to take your ingredients, to put them together, uh, in a way that you you understand why you're including this mark and that mark and creating something that is effective that you don't need to destroy or scramble up. Instead, you can actually apply it as a tattoo or bake it into a pie or carve it into a bar of soap, you know, or dance it or use smoke to um, draw it in the air, right? So you're continuing a building process. And I find like a lot of creative folks, a lot of right brain folks find that that method is far more approachable and easy to do once you've, you know, got the hang of it. So mm -hmm. I love the idea of spelling it in the air with smoke. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of 4th of July, playing with sparklers and how we would draw oh. symbols and spell with sparklers in the air back in the day. Sparklers are the best. Everything else gets a little too loud. <laughs> yeah, I think they've been illegal here for a long time. We got problems in California with fires, so. Right. Yes, yeah. yes, we all do. <laughs> yeah. I also, I just wanted to get a good overview before I spoke to you and got myself into all that trouble getting overwhelmed. <laughs> and one of those moments was like, let's read her blog. And I made it like not very far into your blog about your cat. And I was like, no, because you were talking about your cat, Sam, who passed away and kind of wondering at, wow, I can't believe I'm still grieving this. My cat Otis 
passed away two and a half years ago and I am not over it. And I've had so many special cats in my life, but he was my soulmate. He was the one. And so I was really relating to what you were writing there. Your cats were the best. Do you ever work with an animal as a partner in a partnership as some sort of spiritual guide? Is that something that you've done in your practice? Uh, There are ones where when I'm creating art that there's, you know, more of the spirit, which is kind of where where the liminal spirits oracles kind of started from. But in a a more physical, I don't have any familiar animals at this time. That's just where it is. And that's that's fine with the practice. Uh, But definitely when it comes to dreaming and making art and kind of tapping into animals in that way, there are a lot of relationships there. Yeah, oh, I've seen them in your oracle cards and in your dancing. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you did, did you do an owl? I feel like the first ritual workout I saw of yours was an owl thing. There there probably was. I think there's, um, I was doing one of the oracle cards a week. So there's there's likely the owl. Um, I, but I've done dances, uh, performances where there was an owl dance. There was a coyote dance, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, how does a coyote dance? It goes into more the spirit of coyote as a trickster and kind of a playful day. The coyote wakes up, gets into trouble. (laughs) (laughs) And then everything gets mostly righted by the end of the day and coyote goes back to sleep. I've also done stag dances and kind of going into that kind of horn god territory um, ravens, uh, it's pretty much you know, whatever, whatever's inspiring. Um, it, it tends to uh, grab a hold. And Yeah, this oh. reminds me, we had a Twitter question. I'm definitely going to mess up this person's name. It's C.O. Chanta, something like that. I apologize for messing up your name, but they asked, did your experiences with ritual movements and dancing inspire you to write this book? Or was there something else that inspired you? it started with the ritual movements. As I said, it was, you know, way back in the day when I was first discovering like doing ritual with other people was that the movement was really empowering and just really wanting to help people tap into that and realize that they don't need all the stuff. If you start with your body, um, that you can have amazing and powerful rituals, um, just, just sitting there just as you are. um, And make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. And it's, Interesting. I know you could not have known this before. Well, maybe, I don't know if if you sped wrote this book, but I think we're at a place right now, culturally, where we need to get in our bodies and to process everything that we just experienced. It's really tempting to escape up in your head Mm -hmm. when things start getting really chaotic or frightening. And I feel like we went through that collectively on a number of different levels so to me, this is like perfect timing for this book. It, it was the idea for this book has been you know sitting around for a while, but I think officially started it in 2019. Mm-hmm. But you know the bulk of it from the end of 2019 and 2020, I started you know that first draft, which I, I think I mentioned in the book. I had a horrible migraine <laughs> getting up to like the last month that the book was due. So writing through that was. Excruciating, wow. uh, but maybe very conscious of my body. And then it cleared up, turned in this, you know, turned that first draft in. A second draft, I started and was like, nope, nope, there's, there's things I have to get deeper into. And 
And then COVID hit. And uh, so the whole second draft of this and the third draft of, you know, just refining this book through this whole process has been in this time if we're figuring things out. So that definitely has influenced how I approached a few things in there. Mm -hmm. I feel like our body holds a special truth also, Mm -hmm. which I think could be useful right now because 2020 in particular was a year in which it was very hard to discern the truth if you were coming at it just like, tell me the facts because you'd have these experts over here with these facts Mm -hmm. and then you'd have these experts over here with these completely opposite contradictory facts and you are supposed to make sense of like who was telling the truth and I feel like oftentimes our body knows. Right. Yeah. If we learn to listen to that intuition, which seems simple, but it's not, especially when we've had a whole lifetime of growing up in a society that tells you that, oh, it's silly to believe your intuition. You're in, you know, it's silly to believe that you have power and magic is, you know, again, all these sort of things sort of like, no, 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 no. The hardest thing is to trust yourself. Yep. I don't think it's a coincidence that so many of us are separated from our bodies. It's useful if people are separated from their bodies because then you can manipulate them with fear and useful things like that. And I'm not saying there's a grand conspiracy to do this, just that it comes in handy for people, the big they, that, you know, need to push buttons to make certain movements happen. And I feel like it's one of the most empowering things we can do to come back to that wisdom did I go off in the political weeds there? I was nope. trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, wait, I often like to tell folks, it's like, who benefits by telling you you don't have power? Right. It, who benefits when they tell you not to to trust yourself and to, to think a little more deeply and to do the work necessary to ground yourself, um, to find that center? And uh, <laughs> I guarantee it, it's not you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely not you um, if you give up your power and your sovereignty of self uh, and, you know, start chasing, chasing those rabbits all over the field and, and instead of um, finding your center. Yes. Yeah. And I definitely think this book is a path to doing that, particularly for somebody who's new to all these concepts, like what a wealth of information, where can they find you? Like if somebody's just listening, I'm definitely going to link to all the things, but if someone is just listening on the go, where's the best place to find you online? Uh, I still have I still have a website. It feels like that's starting to get outdated. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> zacroft.com, which is um, a gateway to, you can find my blog from there. You can find my YouTube channel. You can find my shop with all my art um, or alchemy.arts on Instagram. Um, and that's O-W-L-K-E-Y-M-E dot arts. Because again, I am a dork. So... <laughs> <laughs> And, and a really talented dork. I <laughs> I believe this is your art on the cover of the book and it's your art on the Oracle decks. And I, mm-hmm. that is actually unusual. Yes. Um, and I kind of feel really blessed that I'm able to do that. I, there's a, a few books like the, the Witch's Tools that we mentioned earlier. Uh, Mickey Muller, who's an amazing illustrator, they want to keep everything consistent. So she illustrated all of those books. Um, but it started with Sigil Witchery and like, I, I will make the illustrations because it's my art. Yeah. 
And so we have the liminal. Um, so the funny thing is when you do that first thing, you're like, I'm going to illustrate everything. And then like 133 illustrations later, you're like, I hate myself. I hate myself so much. Um, so we, the liminal got like one illustration per chapter and um, anatomy is, is sort of like that too, but I already have been thinking about the Oracle deck. So some of the art that you see in the book um, is a black and white version of what's the final art for a full color deck. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to make it useful. So it's going to go in this book, but it's also going to the deck. How exciting. So. There's a deck. I love the cover image. It actually perfectly encapsulates the content of the book in this one. Speaking of being a creator of sigils, this is more of a fleshed out version of a sigil, but it has some sigil vibage to it, I think. Yeah, and if you when you see inside the book too, you'll see um, the more sigilized version. It was so important for me for the cover to have something. It's like, well, how do you reflect the body, but you don't, you know, put a stereotypical body like you know the a goddess body or you know what color skin, what gender, all of that's the you know what size, you know, you know body type, all of those things. Like, I don't want this to be limiting to anyone because it's again, if you have a body, you can do this. I had nothing to do with the cover for the audiobook. I'm not <laughs> happy with the cover of the audiobook, which has your kind of spiral goddess. Um, um, that's a whole, that's the audible, audible company. So, meh. but as you can see here, this is the this is exactly the the manifestation of having something that is deeper symbolic that represents everybody. Yeah. Yes. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And a follow up to the Twitter. Uh, this person had another question. They wanted to know if you're working on a new book and if you can tell us anything about it or is it a secret? So the the current project is finishing up the Oracle deck. And, uh, but I am working on kind of a sigil witchery 2.0, which is delving deeper into visual magic. Do you get overwhelmed when people ask you that? What am I doing next? Yeah. Like, do you feel like, come on, this book isn't even out yet. Or do you enjoy that flow? You like to be like right in the mix of it. I'm a workaholic. So I do like you know, like having projects, the thing that's overwhelming me now is like, what do you want to do in the next five years? I'm like, I, I don't know. I've kind of accomplished a lot of things. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you really have. Yeah, you definitely have. I'm a recovering workaholic, but mm. that's because I was suffering. Mm. It was an addiction that was not pleasant for me. So not doing was a whole, wow, am I allowed to do this? Is this okay? Is the world right. going to burn to the ground? <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure, but I felt like 2020 was a good time to take a pause and reassess because it gave me the perfect cover in a way to do that. And that was kind of the situation we were all in. So I just decided to go with it and see what would come of it. It was perfect timing. I, I did a, a bit of that myself too. So like I... I have things that I have to do and the projects I'm very excited about, but I've learned to take space and, um, and like, if a plate drops, a plate drops, mm. <laughs> make art with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was so interesting. I always end with the same question and you can just answer whatever comes top of mind. It doesn't have to be the end all be all, but what is one tip you have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Have fun. Find out what that means to have fun, to relax a little bit and be open to whatever form that may take. Because we often just see like, it's supposed to look like this. And when you're making art, 
you have that idea in your mind that you start with, but the true process and journey and the real masterpiece is what you arrive at at the end as you explore all of the possibilities. Have fun. Play. Yes, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, thank you for having me. This was, this was fun, definitely. <laughs> I love my job. I love my job. Can you believe that this is my job? How fun was that interview? Definitely run over to YouTube and check out her witchable workouts. They're so cool. Pick up a copy of Anatomy of a Witch. And if you're loving this shadowy content and you like my style, that's very important to note. (laughs) If you enjoy this podcast, You might want to check out the Shadow Love audio journey. It's very much like this. Chatty, conversational. That's how I like to share. And again, that will be on sale for 50% off all summer long using the discount code GROOVY. And yes, there will be a link to all these things in the show notes. So until we meet again, I hope you're having an amazing summer so far. If you are in the Southern Hemisphere, shout out to you. Happy winter. (laughs) Much love. Peace. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.